0: So at this time, we have the opportunity to come listen to the dhamma. We sit in meditation and we sit uh, at ease in a relaxed way. We can put our right leg on top of our left or our left leg on top of our right. Either way is fine. And we start out spreading loving-kindness to all beings, wishing that all beings in all directions may be well, may be happy. <clears throat> and we incline our minds to recollect the qualities of the Buddha. We recollect the great uh, compassion of the Buddha, which had no limit, was incomparable. And we can recollect if we were to praise the Buddha, it would be like a, a little bird uh, making Uh, sounds in the whole vast universe so great are the qualities and uh, good qualities of the Lord Buddha. And we can recollect the qualities of the Dhamma and Sangha, that the Dhamma is well expounded by the Buddha, and that the Sangha have practiced well all the way up until the present day from the time of the Buddha according to the Vinaya, the discipline that the Buddha taught. So now, it's the time for us to to train our minds to know and see the Dhamma. And even while listening to Dhamma, wisdom is able to arise. If our mind is peaceful, then even if we don't know the language being spoken, but we can understand the language of the heart, and in this way the, the feeling of Dhamma can arise in the mind. For example, in the time of the Buddha, there was a. <clears throat> in the time of the Buddha, there was a frog who was able to receive the sounds of the Buddha as he taught the Dhamma. And this frog, while listening to the sounds of the Dhamma talk, was crushed by the walking stick of a cowherder who was walking uh, there. And so the frog died, and upon Death was reborn in a heavenly realm. So this is from uh, listening or hearing the sound of Dhamma. And this is the light of Dhamma able to enter the heart of that frog. So we incline and pay homage to the Dhamma of the Buddha um, as we listen. And the Buddha taught, what is this vimuti, what is this freedom and liberation like? Is it something that lay people can realize? And so the Buddha taught that all minds, all hearts who practice uh, virtue, collectedness, and wisdom are able to know the Dhamma and see the Dhamma. All minds are capable of this. And we can ask, why is this? It's because the Dhamma is something that's open already. It's here and available already. Whether or not uh, fully awakened Buddhas arise in the world or not, the dhamma is here and open. And this dhamma, we can think of it as a cause and effect or cause and result. For example, materiality, all material form, has a cause. And based on that cause, materiality arises. And with the cessation of those causes, then materiality ceases. And the same is true of uh, Vedana, feeling, sanya, perception, Sankara formations and Vinnana uh, sense consciousness it's all the same based on causes these phenomena arise and with the cessation of those causes these phenomena cease Venerable Asajitara one of the first awakened disciples of the Buddha taught Venerable Sariputta uh, taught along these lines according to what the Buddha taught that all Dhammas have a cause, and with the cessation of those causes, those Dhammas cease. And in this context, the word Dhammas means all things, all materiality and all mentality, arise, uh, stay for a little while, and pass away. In hearing this teaching, Venerable Sariputta was able to see clearly into the Dhamma. So we practice collectedness, practice samadhi, to bring up the energy and strength of the mind, uh, to bring the mind to peace. Because if the mind isn't peaceful, isn't collected, then wisdom won't arise. And when wisdom does arise, then we see that this body, this physical form that we thought was me or mine, is actually not me, not mine. So then we can ask, well, in this case, who is it that practices, who practices the Dhamma? we can say that it's this knowing element, this one who knows. And without practice, the one who knows is lost in delusion, lost in clinging to things as me and mine. So we train this knower, we train it to know things according to the way they they are, to know clearly. To have the mind, the one who knows, no convention and no liberation, no samuti and no vimuti, And knowing samuti and vimuti clearly, convention and liberation, one can become free of clinging temporarily. And this temporary freedom, we can call it temporary nibbana. The mind feels cool, empty, at ease, and right view arises. One sees all things, all phenomena, as simply arising and passing away. One sees that all lives end in death. And we can look at the example or the simile of uh, all of the buildings that we use, all of our dwellings, our houses, whether big or small. We see that um, in the same way as our minds, it's like all these houses are all on fire, on fire with uh, aging, illness, and death. And we're in this house while it's on fire all around us. So given the situation we see Uh, the fire coming for us, and we try to escape. We do our best to escape from that house. This is seeing the drawbacks in one's situation, seeing that death is coming. So a practitioner of dhamma who knows clearly will see things in this way, will see their situation as that of one who is in a burning house. And this is an analogy for us to consider old age, sickness, and death are are very close. So even if we live another 50 years, we inevitably meet with old age, sickness, and death. So we can have the feeling in the mind, or see clearly in the mind, that really old age is very close, sickness is very close, death is very close. And we see that it's coming very close like this, And this makes the mind alert and wakeful and heedful. And we can say the mind is fearful, but it's not a fear of death. It's a fear of not having sufficient time to practice and train the heart. So we see that this life is something uncertain and death is certain. So we train our minds, we practice the Dhamma, we practice giving uh, relinquishment and sacrifice. And these are foundational for our hearts. And these are qualities of a stream enterer when he's realized the first stage of awakening. And we have the virtue of one who uh, desires or needs collectedness, needs samadhi. And the samadhi is for the purpose of overcoming suffering, it's not for use for other purposes. And the samadhi can lead us to become free of clinging temporarily. And doing this, one sees clearly. So we do the mental training, the bhavana, uh, cultivate our minds, and we have effort. And if one is seen clearly in this way and had this kind of temporary liberation, then this effort can arise on its own. There's no need to control oneself or force oneself to do the practice. Effort just happens naturally. And also remember not to be too tense or tight in one's effort. One can look at the in and out breathing in a relaxed and easeful way. Just know the breath as it comes in, as it comes out. The breath as it arises and ceases. And have mindfulness in a relaxed and easeful way. If one is thinking a lot, then do a lot of chanting to bring the mind to peace. And this is, uh, we can look at all the different kamatanas are for the sake of peace, whether repeating bhutto, bhutto, or chanting the praises of the Buddha, itipiso, bhagawa, or the recollecting the 32 parts of the body, the 10 asuba or not beautiful kamatanas, being mindful of the movements of the body, such as doing uh, chores, bathing, uh, eating, cleaning one's teeth, uh, doing various things. We I mean, just train ourselves to have mindfulness in the present moment. Even if we're planning of the future, having various thoughts that we need to have, then we practice to be aware in the present moment, to be mindful in the present as we do this. Not to get lost in the past or the future. Not to get lost in worry. Because we can see that this worry is not useful, it's not beneficial. Having mindfulness in the present moment is capable of fixing any problems or issues that arise in our lives. And we use wisdom to help uh, the mind that clings. And another kamatana we can use is contemplating the four elements or recollecting death. So these are all meditation objects for bringing the mind to peace and stillness. The mind may have a lot of thoughts in a given day. And out of these thoughts, there is a lot of unwholesome thoughts and not very many wholesome thoughts. But we practice to cut off these unwholesome thoughts just like when we eat uh, fish or uh, beef or chicken or whatever it is. Uh, The bones, we throw them out and we just take the meat. So these unwholesome thoughts, we can just throw them out and we just use the wholesome thoughts. And we train to make our body and speech good and wholesome. We listen to the Dhamma, contemplate the Dhamma, have this firm intention and determination in our goal. And our goal is uh, Nibbana, having Nibbana as the object of our mind. So we practice in this way, we train in this way We train the mind not to be involved with all the things of the world, with any of the six senses. Uh, Just that, do just that. We have our meditation object and we bring our mind to oneness with that object. And then rapture, uh, piti and sukha, or bliss and ease can arise deep in the mind. There's no need to doubt or be afraid. Just uh, train to cut off uh, the unwholesome, cultivate the wholesome. And initially, one cuts off this coarse kind of liking or coarse greed. And then we continue to train our mind, and this is the foundation to contemplate in order to understand the essence of not self, of uh, not meanness, not mindness. So, if the mind doesn't have collectedness or peace, then wisdom doesn't arise and then liberation does not arise. So we need uh, giving virtue and mental cultivation. We can also say virtue, collectedness, and wisdom. So may we train in this way. Even if our minds are busy and chaotic as we, we do our, our work, our livelihood, um, bring your meditation object with you, keep your kamatana with you, uh, bring mindfulness with you wherever you go. So we can see in this way that one actually has two types of work. One has the worldly work to gain uh, money and take care of one's family and one's uh, livelihood. And we also have the inner work of training and mindfulness and collectedness to bring our minds to a firm stability. So if we have a lot of mindfulness, then collectedness and wisdom are able to arise. If there's no mindfulness, then collectedness does not arise and wisdom does not arise as well. And this leads the mind to have many kinds of problems uh, due to this lack of mindfulness, concentration, and wisdom. And this can even lead the mind to become depressed and anxious. So may you train, train in these wholesome qualities. May you have chanda, a wholesome desire, and may you enjoy this uh, training. What is important is this effort to uh, study and be firm in all of one's efforts. So we can see that ever since we were very young, we've studied through uh, preschool, kindergarten, primary school, secondary school, up to uh, university of various levels, whether uh, bachelor degree, master's degree, or PhD. And this was all training in order for one to get a job, get a livelihood. So we can look when we come to practice Dhamma. We practice Dhamma for not very long. And we already uh, want the heart to be cool and peaceful. And so this is likely not possible. However, if we practice non-stop, if we just keep practicing, then we are capable of meeting with the Dhamma. It's like uh, digging a well. In some places, after digging 20 or 30 meters, you can meet with water. In other places, you have to dig more deeply, and uh, other places more shallowly, shallowly. But either way, one keeps digging without ceasing. Because if one stops digging, then one won't meet with the water. So if, sometimes the water is right there, but the one's parami, is not sufficient yet, uh, so one doesn't actually reach the water. But when the parmi is ready, the spiritual accumulations, the spiritual virtues are ready, then one can reach the water and get the water. So in this Dhamma practice it's the same. We have effort without ceasing, and then we are able to achieve peace. So this non-stop effort is something a very crucial in one's, one's Dhamma practice. So if one is heedless or lost in enjoyment of the things of this world, this is the cause for not having effort. For instance, nowadays, uh, a lot of people have uh, smartphones and this kind of uh, technology. And there's uh, Facebook and Instagram and all these various uh, social media and various things that uh, people look at. And when one does this, and the mind uh, goes to the phone, goes to the technology. And mindfulness, uh, mindfulness goes, goes into this social media, into this phone as well. And this can add up to many hours, even in a single day. So we can really reflect and really ask ourselves, what do we gain from this? What do we get from this? Is there anything better that we could be doing with our time? does this behavior, does this activity help us to overcome suffering? We can see that the mind doesn't actually overcome suffering uh, doing this activity. What the mind really needs to realize uh, genuine happiness and realize overcoming suffering is insight, is knowledge. And this, uh, particularly the the Maga yana the path knowledge, path insight. So whatever world, whatever universe one is in, there is no insight comparable, there is no insight greater than this path knowledge. So we have such a great fortune that we're able to meet with the teachings of the Buddha. We can compare it to the Buddha being the owner of a fruit orchard. We enter into the orchard and we Uh, want to eat a fruit we want to pick a fruit to eat we can ask, is that hard for us to do to walk into the orchard and get a fruit to eat however one can look at the owner of the orchard they had to find, uh, pick the the fruits to plant get the seeds, then plant them then fertilize and take care of them and help the plants to grow into trees that are ready to fruit So we can see that for the owner this is actually a very difficult task. So we look at the Buddha who was uh, born and died so many countless times, more than um, more than one can count. And then one looks back at oneself and asks, well in this case, why, why do we have no effort? Why aren't we putting forth effort in the practice? All the awakened disciples, all the sangha who have seen the Dhamma, uh, needed effort in their practice to cut off the unwholesome, to give rise to the wholesome, and to have all these four right efforts of whatever unskillfulness has arisen to let go of that and to prevent the arising of unarisen uh, unskillful qualities and to give rise to skillful qualities and to make skillful qualities already present uh, uh, prosper and grow even more. So, may, so I observe that the you uh, retreatants have a fullness of heart, have a full engagement, a wholeheartedness in this practice of giving, uh, self-sacrifice, and observing virtue such as the five or eight precepts, or even some individuals eating just one meal a day and the practice of mental cultivation, of meditation. And still the mind may not yet be peaceful, but this is simply because we haven't done the practice enough yet. We haven't done it, uh, just haven't done it enough yet. The mindfulness is too little and not continuous. So we can reflect in each given day, have, we been wasting any time. One can use an alarm clock, such as the clock on one's phone, to make an alarm sound every one minute. And then every time that alarm goes off, every minute, we can ask at that time, what are we doing? Do we have mindfulness? Is the mind with the meditation object? We can also get a device to help us count. Uh, mantra repetitions, meditation, word repetitions, such as repetitions of the it to be so chant, or buto. We can chant this it to be so, even 108 times, even 108 times, uh, times five times, so over 500 times in a day. In the beginning, one may feel this is difficult, and even 108 repetitions, one feels like that's enough for one day. So that's someone who doesn't really, they, doesn't, they don't want a lot of merit, they don't desire a lot of merit, but for someone who wants more merit, then they, they repeat the chant more. Or for some individuals, they may simply repeat, "buto, buto," and their mind feels very full, and rapture and happiness arise in the mind, So this is the mind at peace already. So in this case, there's no need to chant a lot because the mind is already gathered at peace. For instance, uh, Anattapindaka, the foremost male lay uh, supporter of the Buddha, had such fullness of heart, such joy of heart, when he simply heard the word Buddha when he uh, was at his relative's house and he heard that the Buddha was coming for a meal invitation He had such great rapture and happiness and fullness just upon hearing the word Buddha. So we can see that if we have uh, past spiritual virtues, if we have parami, then just hearing the word Buddha and we can already feel a great fullness and contentedness. And then a heart in such a state, listening to the Dhamma, is capable of seeing the Dhamma right there. So in this life, uh, one is capable of seeing the Dhamma. One sees that uh, one was lost in the sense of self, uh, deluded in seeing things of self. And we see that all the things that we were lost in as self are actually not self. They're not me, not mine, not I. And then the mind sees that this is actually uh, the normal state of nature, that it's actually natural for the body, that it's not me, it's not mine. It actually, um, doesn't belong to oneself at all this body is something we just borrow and when the time comes we return it and seeing this then we don't have to feel or we don't uh, we don't feel indebted because we realize it's just something we're borrowing and that we uh, have to return so we're just borrowing these four elements of earth air fire and water uh, temporarily and so as we're Listening to the Dhamma talk, we're breathing in and out. This is borrowing the air of the world. The air of the world we just borrow temporarily and then give it back. And the same with the water we drink, we're just borrowing it. And same with the earth element that we take in as food, which then also gives rise to the fire element. We are just borrowing these things and then we return them. We can see that if the breath, if we have no air, if we don't borrow air just for five minutes, then the body dies uh, right then and there. So we're actually borrowing these elements all the time. And we see that that which is borrowed is not self, is not me or mine. And we see that old age, sickness and death are natural, and normal conditions of the world. It's normal for conditioned formations Uh, to be this way, and seeing this truth is seeing the Dhamma, the truth of the way things are. One sees it all as convention, See that all all of it is empty, that really there's nothing there. We don't actually have anything there. The same with uh, Vedana, or pleasant, unpleasant, and neutral feeling. It arises, uh, stays for a little bit, and passes away. So it really isn't there at all. It doesn't actually exist. So why do we take it to be a self? We can look at the eye contacting a form in the same way. The experience of visual contact arises, stays for a little while, and passes away. With the conditions of light, a visual object, and the eye organ, and then eye consciousness arises. Uh, this consciousness that knows, the sense object of uh, a visual form. And if the mind sees that we're not not perceiving visual form, the mind realizes that we're not seeing, this is the mind seeing um, sense consciousness as absent, seeing it as uh, impermanent, something that arises, stays for a little while, and passes away. Or then we do see a visual form and sense consciousness, eye consciousness does arise. So again, one sees that it's uh, something that comes and goes, arises, stays for a little while, and passes away. So we see this as Dhamma. So normally one feels that it is oneself who sees, it is a me who sees, but really it's a It's not a me or a mine, it's not self. And then also this not seeing, this not perceiving of visual forms in the instance of the non-arising of sense consciousness. This is also not me, not mine, not a self. And this is the same for all the senses, for all uh, ear objects, nose objects, tongue objects, uh, body objects and mind objects. For instance, one can look at the nose. In the time of COVID, uh, one of the symptoms of COVID can be not perceiving smells, not having smells, because the sense organ is damaged. However, the the jitta, the mind, knows that there is no smell, knows that the uh, nose consciousness is not arising. And so one sees that this... um, (coughs) that this sense contact, sense consciousness, a sense object, it's all not self, not a me, not a mine. And similarly, when sense consciousness does arise and one does does know a smell, it's also not a self, not a me or a mine. It's just nature arising and passing away. In truth, there's no self, no me or mine to be found there. This is seeing the Dhamma. This is not getting lost in the self. And if one does see all this uh, sense activity as me and mine, this is a cause for suffering to arise. And as one continues to practice and one sees more and more clearly, then this dukkha, this suffering, decreases gradually. And one can see the Dhamma to the point where there's no eighth lifetime one at most has seven more lifetimes. So, may you have effort in your Dhamma practice and have faith that this Dhamma practice gets real results because the practice does get real results. And we, uh, we experience, uh, as the mind is gradually more trained in the Dhamma, this rapture and happiness can arise very strongly in the mind even for a whole day and night even for a whole month or even many months continuously one can experience a great rapture and happiness and this is a great uh, miracle of dhamma this is the mind uh, uh, transcending this world overcoming this world and going to the other world and At the beginning, one has one leg, one foot in this world and one foot in the other world. And one can ask, well, why why aren't we just going to to the other world straight away? And the, why can't we let go of this? And the answer is that we still have a sense of self. So continue to contemplate the body as empty. Do this every day. In the course of even one month or many months, then one's parami becomes full. and Then one day one sees the Dhamma clearly and one reaches the point where one's able to see the truth uh, with clarity. One can look at the story of uh, Venerable Sivali Tara from the time of the Buddha when he went to ordain as a young person as he was having his hair shaved as he contemplated while having his head shaved, he was able to realize the first stage of stream entry, and then the stage of once returning, and then the stage of non-returning, and then still, while having his head shaved, realized the stage of arahant, full enlightenment. And this is because his parami, his spiritual virtues, were full from past development and past lives. He had He had done the effort required in the past already so he was able to uh, cut off that which is unwholesome, and he did the wholesome in the past already, so that we can compare this to ourselves on this retreat. Uh, this retreat, what we're doing, is a very big merit. It's a great merit for us, a great goodness. Training our minds in peacefulness is a, a truly a great merit. We bring our faith to be full, and we have effort we bring our minds to be collected and firm, then we contemplate, is this really me? Is this really mine? And we we know that the Buddha taught that all phenomena are empty and that Nibbana is the best happiness. And we may ask, well, why, why is Nibbana the best happiness? Why is it the supreme happiness, the supreme bliss? And... Let us uh, compare it to um, material analogy a material Dhamma a Rupa Dhamma we can say that there's a place there's a city a very special city and in this city there are no there's no old age there's no sickness there's no death there's no greed or theft anyone who enters this city doesn't experience any anger or aversion all the The beings there have no clinging, no attachment. All beings there have minds very much at ease and relaxed. And in the city, the beings have bodies that are very subtle with no hunger, no pain, no soreness, no illness. And one can be there for a long time. There's no need to change one's location or go anywhere else. There's no need to to go be born anywhere else. And one's dwelling, one's house there, can be any type of house that one wants. One can be at ease and relaxed. um, And there's no need to have the heat of the sun, because, uh, and the light of the sun, because everything is bright and self-luminous all the time, as if the sun was shining bright at all times. And we can say that this is like a crystal city. This is the mind that is pure the mind that is is free. And so we can compare this to this uh, fullness and happiness of heart, like the happiness of samadhi. So we have this happiness of samadhi, and we can see that even if we enter into a chaotic and busy society, then these moods and sense impressions from the outer environment, the chaotic environment, aren't capable of entering the heart. The sense objects and moods arise and pass away and one knows that one shouldn't cling to them. This is uh, the way to overcome this world, to, tr- to transcend this world and enter into this uh, city which we can also call the pure mind. So one uh, continues to train the mind and uh, let go of, of all attachment and clinging. And one can see that the mind, with rapture and happiness, anywhere it goes, it won't have suffering. It can go to a chaotic place, a busy place, and the mind won't be chaotic and busy along with the environment. And this is up to one's spiritual development, up to one's parami. One must practice and train the mind uh, to be able to see this uh, crystal city It's something, it's a place that we're able to go. We can be there uh, through this knowing arising that all conditioned formations are not me, not mine. So we train in this way and it's not a thought that conditioned formations are not me and mine. It's a a knowing that's capable of making the mind uh, bright, clear and radiant. This is seeing the Buddha clearly in the heart. This is something that humans are capable of doing. doing. Humans are capable of training in this, practicing this, and able to do this well, and can achieve this. This is practicing dhamma to give rise to wisdom. So uh, this faith arises from wisdom as well. And a faith that's stable and firm, is a characteristic of one who has realized the stage of stream-entry of sotapanna, one who's seen the Dhamma. And this is uh, a state that doesn't change. One sees that the Dhamma is uh, the supreme in the world. One who has realized this may have anger, but they won't have the wish to harm. They may have greed, but it won't be coarse. They'll have some delusion, but it'll be a subtle delusion. And the mind of, of a stream enter won't fall very far. And this is something that lay people are capable of realizing as well. And this is, in uh, one who is this way has a, a heart that is holy. We can say a heart that is uh, a monastic. So we can say that we are all uh, kamatana monastics or pra in Thai which uh, can mean holy and also means uh, monastic so we have these kamatanas in our hearts and this makes all of our hearts holy so don't uh, don't throw this pra away don't throw away one's inner monastic but keep it in your heart for instance if you forget your phone when you leave your house then you go back to get it because all of one's communication and all these various things are all in one's smartphone these days. So we feel the feelings that we have to go back and get our phone. So our kamatana should be the same. We, Whenever we forget the kamatana, we uh, seek to remember it and we bring it everywhere with us. If we forget it, then we go get it back. Just like having a GPS, um, We seek to find the kamatana using our inner GPS to recollect our meditation object. So train your mind to recollect in this way. Then the fruit of wisdom can arise. One can see clearly um, into the nature of ownerlessness that nothing is a self. We see convention and liberation. This is the fruit of dhamma practice. This is the inner monastic, the inner Holy One arising in our minds. So one sees the fruit of practice, that all phenomena are by nature empty, that really there's nothing there. So for, for all of us Dhamma practitioners, may we be firm in this, may we be intent in our practice. This is the eighth day of our retreat where we've been practicing together. So I wish, may you all be well, may you all be strong and healthy, may you be well, may you grow in blessings, may you see and prosper in Dhamma.